0: Jamil Hassan with the Crypto Corner uh, at the Irish Tech News and where I interview founders, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, executives, artists in the crypto and blockchain space. And today I have an amazing guest. His name is Matt Center. He is the chief technology officer and co-founder of Lolly. Matt, welcome
1: to the show today. Thanks for having me. That was a great intro. I've never been called amazing before, so appreciate that. Not a problem. Um, <laughs> I'm a Lolly
0: customer, so I'm allowed to say that. Right. So um to kick That's things great. off. Yeah. I, I so far I've used this, the app since May and I've really enjoyed it. Um so uh perfect. I'll say, you know, first question to be this is um what is your background and is it a logical background for what you do now?
1: Sure. Uh so I've been building businesses for about 25 years specifically in in the tech space, just various tech stacks. Um, almost always has something to do with um, commerce. Um, you know, I started one of the first. This is not commerce related, but I did start one of the first uh, Java based hosting companies back in the 90s, and um, uh, hosted some commerce for people on that. Um, I've got a computer science degree from North Carolina State, um, but uh, yeah, over the past 25 years, I've I've worked in a number of different verticals um, relating to anything from you know selling t-shirts to boats to um, just creating apps and trying new ideas, failing at most of them, um, getting getting it right on a few. Uh, so always been experimenting and just seeing what's out there, playing with new technologies, uh, putting new things out, trying to disrupt where I can. Um, that's kind of one of my uh, fortes, I think, is just looking at uh, where... There could be problem points uh in the industry or any particular industry and then trying to figure out well what can i do here to make that a little better for people or you know in this particular example with with bitcoin and such of uh you know transitioning the power and control of money to um a different generation of people really different uh, uh population of people um so taking it out of the hands of of larger uh almost monopolistic uh, financial gurus and put it in the hands of the retail uh, investor and, um, you know, mom and pops and such. So that kind of thing always has always appealed to me. And, um, you know, I sp- specific to retail to uh, Alex Edelman, my co-founder, uh, who you interviewed earlier this year, um, he and I actually worked together at our previous startup called Cosmic, where we worked directly with retailers to create the, Pipes behind buy buttons, Uh, so it was a B2B play, and we got to work directly with those retailers and figure out some of the intricacies of, you know, what their ability to move on certain things was, how fast they could move specifically, um, what their taste and risk threshold was for adoption of new technologies, and we made a lot of good partnerships there and brought that to the Bitcoin space uh, with Lolly. And kind of gave them a way to say, hey, okay, this is cool. We can do this through Matt and Alex and, you know, get a, get an exposure to Bitcoin without having to go all in uh, because we're doing all the heavy lifting for them. So actually it ends up being a much easier sell with Bitcoin uh, or with Lolly than it was with Cosmic because there's far less for the retailers to do, which that was a lesson learned from, you know, one startup to the next is you, you go in expecting to do one thing. It's like, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be easy sell. And. It wasn't in the enterprise play, but when you go to the consumer app side, it actually becomes a lot easier. Great.
0: So, uh, you mentioned Alex, you mentioned, I spoke with him, um, in May. And when I spoke with him, you guys were launching a new platform or updated platform for Lolly. Just want to find out how the development has been and how uh, the role has been and how some of the successes that you've seen so far.
1: Yeah, it's been great. Um, I mean, our hypothesis that mobile was going to be the way to increase our user base and engagement. And it absolutely was, you know, it brought the cost of acquiring customers down. Um, We've had month over month, uh, just explosive record growth each month uh, with, I think, like one or two exceptions. And um, yeah, we're just at a, you know, year over year uh, at an incredibly different place than we were a year ago. And we were doing great last summer, but this summer it's just been uh, phenomenal uh, for growth. Um, and then increased engagement as well. Just users coming in, they play our daily stacks every day to get the free loot box, and uh, you know they're sharing and they're communicating on Twitter, et cetera. Just uh, excited to use the app, shop in the app. Um, it's been a really, really positive response, and just and this is actually one of the fun things. One of the things I really like about Lolly compared to other projects I've done is that instant feedback from the community, and um, you know, seeing a, a mobile app like ours just be adopted so rapidly and um get such positive feedback from it
0: awesome and you said one of the words that resonates with me uh and you said you said bring crypto to a different generation uh i wrote a book called regeneration x so um in defining generation by birth years but how do you define what generation you're looking to target and um how has the reception been on on that generation
1: Sure. So, I mean, obviously, we're trying to get Bitcoin to every generation. Um, the logical way to do that, though, really is to start with the younger ones. So we're you know, targeting 18 to 35 specifically, uh, which actually puts me out of that particular target market, even though uh, I'm an obvious crypto adopter. So, um, you know, and then secondarily going from 35 to 55. Uh, but yes, yeah, you know, starting you have to start with the younger generations so of Gen Z and then uh, Gen Alpha coming up after that. Um, these are the folks who grew up in nothing but a digital world. You know, soon we're going to have, in, in fact, I think my kids, yeah, all, all my kids are post-Bitcoin. So they've grown up in a world where Bitcoin has always existed. So you kind of see these um, these interesting aspects to uh, their perspective on the world. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer, so I grew up in the analog world and transitioned to the digital world. Um, we've got Gen Alpha growing up in a, in a world- that has had Bitcoin from the start. So it's a, it, when you think about how we got from, you know, the analog world to where we are now, and then people starting with Bitcoin as a base, uh, where we're going to be in 20, 30 years from, from now, um, it's pretty cool to think about. Um, so, yeah, so starting with the younger generations, um, you know, uh, up uh, Gen Z millennial, uh, particularly millennial, uh, because they are at the stage of their life where they're, you know, they're, they've got uh, steady jobs, they're, you know, um, starting families. And so they're thinking about savings long term. Um, and they're and they're also very tied into the digital world. Um, they may not have had Bitcoin all their life, but they've had a very digital world their whole life. So they're very accustomed to this type of thing and um, see the value almost immediately in in what we're doing and creating or not us creating, but us helping adopt the uh, use of a native digital currency. Great. Before I move on to the
0: next question, I want to ask one more follow up, and sure. that is, you know, you and I are both Gen Xers, right? And um, you know, I recently turned fifty, right? So um, the conversation of moving of of analog versus digital, do you think there's enough attention? And if not, how do you think we should improve in it and and um, build up that conversation of analog versus digital out there to help people who grew up in the analog world? understand bitcoin better
1: Ah, wow that's a really good question because i I think you see two types of people in that age range right and and these this has always been the case it's not even a new phenomenon but you see the people that uh, started in analog and really just stayed in analog i remember um in college um I, i was consulting for or my company was consulting for a an accounting firm and the CEO just insisted everything had to be done by hand in paper ledgers and such and this was late 90s and so you on one on the one hand you're thinking why hasn't he adopted computers for his accounting practice yet on the other hand um you know that's why we were there uh trying to encourage them to use more electronic and they they had younger employees and such so um so you had that kind of person who was that's just their that was their life. It was analog, and transitioning to digital digital was not of interest to them. And then on the other hand, you've got the same people from the same eras who are excited about new technology, and like oh wow, this is cool. You know, like just the invention of the cell phone. You know, uh, I once saw a um, it was a uh, I think it was a World War II uh, reunion in Huntsville, Alabama airport, and uh, these uh, veterans. Uh, from uh, a long time ago. Oh uh, no, it wouldn't have been World War II. <laughs> it would have been a little, a, little, a little too far. I can't remember which war. Uh, but anyway, uh, these veterans were there and they were obviously older gentlemen and um, they were holding up their cell phones and they're taking pictures of people. And I thought how cool that was that, you know, back when they were kids, none of that stuff existed uh, and how much they had seen. And, um, uh, you know, over time the, adopting these new technologies Making it simple enough for them to just pick it up and go, right? So, here you've got people that did not grow up with anything like this and they're able to um, adopt those things. And so, that's where we have to get with things like Bitcoin. And that's part of our mission, too, is the user experience, right? Making it a very um, easy on ramp so that people can just say, Oh, well, I'm, you know, I shop all the time. I, I can just start stacking Bitcoin in my Lolly account pretty easily. Um, you know, that's, that's really step one. But appealing to the people that kind of subconsciously would adopt it without having to think too much about it is is what you got to do. Um, and if you go about it the wrong way, you can almost seem like you're forcing it on people and you don't want to do that. Um, particularly if they're, they shy away from, I don't want to say scared of, but shy away from new technologies or, you know, I've got an aunt who doesn't want to use her credit card online. And I'm trying to convince her. It's like, it's actually way more secure to use your credit card. Uh, for a digital transaction than it is to go to a restaurant and hand it to a server. It's um, so, it, you know, it's some of those old ways that are just hard to shake. Um, people figure this is this is how things are and this is how they'll always be. Um, so helping educate them, guide them uh, from the old ways to the new, I think kind of rambled there. I hope I made some sense. No, you did. Thank you. Uh,
0: so in addition to, to retail buyers, you know, uh, and getting cash back for purchases, um, what have been, What else have you noticed in the market that, you know, could help with Bitcoin mass adoption?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, there's so much going on. You know, we've got things. Obviously, there's El Salvador. You know, we've got countries adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. That's just exciting from the get go. You know, that's that's unheard of uh, prior to recently. Um, so that's a very historical point in bitcoin's history and i think that's going to lead to more and more adoption because clearly i mean an entire country essentially has adopted it so that's uh that's going to spread and we see that with other things other countries happening as well Um, you've got in particular you know within the case in el salvador you've got low to no transaction fees over lightning Uh, that's going to increase adoption particularly on the payment side of things because when you move into a country adopting it we're moving really from this uh savings vehicle to an actual payments system um which it's always been our uh, philosophy that right now people need to be earning as much as possible and saving it for later once we get to the payments side of things but i think we're going to see that accelerate now toward the payments because you're going to have uh you know a national currency in el salvador where people can actually use it to go get their starbucks coffee go to walmart go to mcdonald's etc um and and make their purchases. We're gonna see payment rails uh, becoming more and more thing, which they, I mean, they've always been there. There's been various ways of, of making payments via Bitcoin, particularly over lightning, um, but it's just not been a thing that people needed to do so much yet. And it's been a hard sell for retailers as well. Um, you know, people or retailers would adopt it as a almost a, a gimmicky thing. Yeah, we accept Bitcoin, uh, but we're gonna see us accelerating, I think now towards, um, payments being more and more 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 important, not just the saving side of Bitcoin. Uh, And then it's borderless, right? Um, You know, with uh, uh, Lightning Strike and um, Jack Mahler's work uh, with El Salvador and being able to move money uh, back and forth across borders. That's super exciting. I mean, this is a real world proof of concept um, come to life. So very, very exciting. And I think a lot of people um, don't even really value that as much as they should they're like oh well it's just el salvador well, it's not just el salvador that's just the tip of the iceberg um and i think we're gonna see more and more countries like that who are smaller uh may have uh more issues with their economies um particularly those that i mean they were based on the us dollar or they still are uh and have bitcoin as uh a second legal tender so um just you know those countries understanding that constant printing of money is not (laughs) going to be conducive to their small economy actually thriving so they're going to choose other ways out of it and that's um that's going to be super super exciting for adoption um and then you've got other companies like just in private industries or publicly traded companies as well um with Square and Cash App, and then Visa, PayPal, Venmo, Sofi—all these places just um, either adding Bitcoin to their balance sheet or providing services for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, uh, being able just to purchase it. Uh, you're seeing, so you're seeing people or these larger established companies um, create onroads for people uh, where there weren't any onroads before. Um, you know, it, they are different from Lolly's on onroads because uh, we are doing it through earning and some of these are doing it through purchasing, uh, but still, and then you've got interest bearing accounts on top of that. So, so many ways for people to just get in and and try it out and save for the future. Um, and then, um, you know, with the upcoming, uh, well, we've got a, an ETF in Toronto. I think the Toronto Stock Exchange has got an ET, the first world's first ETF. Uh, people can adopt Bitcoin as an investment vehicle through an ETF now. Um, so there, there's just a ton going on
0: great and i wanted to ask you a follow up on the on um el salvador uh you're, as more nations discover bitcoin's utility as the soundest most secure store of value there will be increasing global interest in bitcoin and le- as legal tender and you see that in el salvador as you said you also say it um see it in cuba how else do you see this um playing out
1: yeah uh, yeah so yeah with the adoption so it's like dominoes right the it's going to start with el salvador uh, other latin american countries are like you mentioned um cuba and then we've got who else we've got paraguay panama um i think argentina was dipping their toe in uh, looking around uh not just not necessarily legal tender but um legalizing the trade or or, or officially regulating it for commerce um yeah so these the, and I touched on it briefly, but these these are going to be critical foundations for their future economies, right? These are going to be, you know, they're opting out of the failing system uh, where the world just prints more money. Is based, you know, the reserve currency is the U.S. dollar globally. So everything is tied back to the U.S. dollar, and then um, you see these cases where the Fed just starts printing more money overnight, um, or not even really printing it, just adding a trillion to the ledger, et cetera. Uh, so it's um, it's, it's actually kind of frightening and exciting and exhilarating all at the same time, because no one really knows how it's going to play out. Uh, A lot of us are taking this big bet that Bitcoin is the future reserve currency of the world. If not offline, definitely online. Um, And then most of the economy is going to be moving online um, through, you know, the form of of digital payments, which you've already seen most of uh, payments go through cards and, um, now we'll just be doing it through QR codes or what have you. so, um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see this play out because, I mean, it it's true. and this is why the the smaller countries are adopting it first because, uh, well, I guess first they're they're more nimble uh, in that regard as they can actually uh, take a look at what is and is not working and um, make changes much more swiftly uh, because they've got a smaller population to um, as constituents. and you know, they can really, um, you know, moving moving a global economy like the U.S. away from the dollar to Bitcoin is that's that's a decades long process. Uh, whereas in these smaller countries, you can do it much more quickly, as we saw with El Salvador. I mean, what was the timeline from the introduction of the bill to the to signing? It was less than a year, I think. Um, so crazy stuff.
0: So I want to touch on basically one follow up thing. So most people will read the Bitcoin white paper or in 2009 or 2008 saying you know um that's a peer-to-peer cash payment system um but payments have been actually the last thing um and a lot to, to really actually happen and a lot of a lot of crypto startups have come and gone and realized they couldn't make a dent in the payment space um what do you think is bitcoin it's staying power it's lasting utility be able to do that to, to achieve that
1: to to achieve eventual payments? To achieve or just the, the state.
0: The, yeah, to be the state the the be the be the, 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 the payment system for you know the world.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I mean, like I said, it it's always been to us a a matter of it's not if but when for payments. It's just it's about timing. So yeah, payments companies have come and gone with Bitcoin. And I think the reason for that, and the reason Bitcoin has stayed around is because despite not having any place to spend it, you can still save with it. So if you look at Bitcoin as a savings vehicle, it has been the best performing asset um, of the last decade, uh, undeniably. There's no doubting that if you had bought any Bitcoin when it was when it first came out and where you would be right now from a savings perspective. And yet the earliest days, it seemed like a lot of speculation to people. It still does seem like speculation to people. Uh, and that's fine. It, the price is very volatile. But if you if you, you know, zoom out as they say and look at the um, trend over time, you're actually in a very good position, and you're still early uh, because um, you know if you if you take an infinitely inflatable currency like the U.S. dollar and try to buy a limited amount of currency like Bitcoin, you can do the math and see how much the value of a Bitcoin should and could be uh, in the long term if the transition was ever completed. So, I think that's always been. Uh, it's staying power is that long-term, uh, we talk about low time preference, I guess, in the armchair economist community of Bitcoin, where everybody has suddenly become an, an economic expert, which on the one hand is really exciting too, because you know, prior to Bitcoin, I think a lot of people didn't really care much about economics. And um, so then people try to educate themselves once they hear about Bitcoin and the history of money and sound money. And so that's exciting. But then at the same time, you also get a lot of um, uh, misinformation out there. But still, it's... Uh, you know it's that long term low time preference it's like i'm just going to some money away and i'm going to chill on this for a while and over time i'm going to be in a better position this is i mean people make this their retirement account instead of doing traditional 401ks um so i think i think you see that more with the younger generation i know i like i said i'm a gen xer so so are you um i've got a wife and kids there's only so much risk tolerance i can have in the house so i've got a mix you know i've got my traditional 401k and i've got my uh so-called bitcoin 401k not an actual 401k but you know what i mean I do. So let's talk about that misinformation a little bit.
0: Um there's two main areas of, of FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt, uh, that that are out there when you look at other articles and the statements and all that. One is um the environmental impact, you know, uh, that's bad for the environment and you know, and you mentioned El Salvador and they're now using clean volcanic energy. Um and how how, you know, should we be looking at the conversation about, you know, Bitcoin mining um not from a you know um from a a the environment perspective but actually from the truth how should we be viewing uh, the benefit of bitcoin
1: yes so um this is this is a really interesting topic and i didn't actually get too deep into this until bitcoin conference in miami um and it's been really fascinating to see some of these statistics but um, i think at this point the statistic was something like upwards of 75% of bitcoin's electricity usage comes from renewables, which is phenomenal because I think the, you know, in the US alone, it's only around 20%. And then for uh global, it's it's around 30%, I think, right now. So you look at of, of all Bitcoin usage and you you get the FUD from the different politicians talking about how, how much electricity it uses and how it damages the environment. But if 75% of it is coming from renewables um you know that's that's setting an example for other industries in my opinion and a lot of people's opinions it's it's giving uh people something to shoot for in other industries and not only that within bitcoin itself um you're looking at it's a race to the cheapest electricity right the the cheaper you can make your electricity the more you have to gain from mining bitcoin so it completely incentivizes renewables because you've got to be able to maintain your long-term business model. Like if you can't, if you can't put renewables, cheap renewables into your mining system, then you're not going to have a long-term business model. Um, so it, it encourages that. And not only does it encourage it within Bitcoin, but now you've got, um, other industries to look at it and see, oh, wow, this is interesting. This is a, um, this is a way to move into, you know, th- 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 these, these, industry, Bitcoin as an industry is proving out how renewables um, are beneficial to other industries and it encourages that uh, just by example. So I think in the long term, what you'll see is when you look back in history, you'll see, well, Bitcoin really led the way to renewable energy. And we saw these other companies and industries pile onto that and and, and see how to make, make that work for them. I agree. I never looked
0: at it as a standalone industry other that and all the Mm -hmm. other cryptos as crypto industry but bitcoin could be considered a a standalone environmental improvement industry right um so over the years the the crypto regulatory discussions have been you know it's been an attack vector regulation on bitcoin and what you see recently and you talk about interest-bearing accounts um, is you see a shift um, to regulation on decentralized finance and a little bit away from Bitcoin, how have those, you know, hurdles um, changed with for Bitcoin, with emphasis more on on DeFi regulatory issues?
1: So I don't think the hurdles have changed so much for Bitcoin itself. Um, I think if anything, I, I think you know DeFi is probably taking the brunt of it on behalf of Bitcoin um, and. It's not that Bitcoin's going to be immune from this. And to be completely open, I think regulation uh, to some degree is going to be good for business building on top of Bitcoin. Um, I know a lot of people are anti-regulation and want it to be completely free and open market. But if I'm building a business and somebody starts changing the laws underneath me down the road, it's very difficult for me to plan for how I can grow my business, how I can spread my business, how I can track new customers, what I can do with my money. So it's actually better, in my opinion, for us to have the sane legislation up front so that we can see you know long term how are we going to do this thing how are we going to roll out this new feature uh like interest-bearing accounts I mean, we're just seeing all kinds of things happening right now with with that um it's been it's been interesting to watch and, and to be uh, i i'm not like a finance expert by any stretch of the imagination like i said my degree was in computer science so there are a lot smarter people than me that understand DeFi way better than i do Um, But to me, just as a layman, it it appears to me as um, like a stock market reboot, right? Taking the middleman out of the stock market and everybody starting from scratch again in the digital world, uh, which has its pluses and minuses because, you know, in the in the heyday of the stock market in the 20s um you know we saw what happened right after that and then that's where you know additional regulation started coming to try to you know put these sane uh rules around uh, what you can and can't do but then you know extrapolated out to where we are now and it's still happening you just you have the big money players that can go in uh and you know like citadel for example and betting against uh small businesses shorting them counterfeit shorting them perhaps uh and uh playing outside the rules that they're supposed to be established, but because they have so much money, they can do that. And I think that's what the DeFi universe kind of opens up to the little guy is um, the ability to uh, do these trades without somebody in the middle or somebody um, uh, telling them what they can and can't do. On the other hand, we have that risk of starting all over, right? of uh, being an unregulated market and people getting fleeced for every penny they've got. Um, this is something uh, I still have not recommended to my friends and family because uh, I don't know how it's going to play out. I mean, there's there's so many scams out there that just happen over and over again. Um, it's it's very very risky in my opinion, and I'm a very risk tolerant person. Um, and until I have more education myself on on how to do it, I'm I'm probably not going to get into that um, area yet. But um, yeah, I think um, I think it really boils down to uh, you know being pro free market and being like an ethical actor within a free market uh and knowing uh what can and can't be right re- because you can't regulate ethics it's just it's impossible um everybody's got different ethics and different standards for that so um it's I, I, ultimately i think the regulation of defi it just it further legitimizes bitcoin because um to me at least, it's a more complex issue. It's a more complex product to have you know, DeFi and come in and, and start regulating DeFi versus regulating Bitcoin. Because if you look at Bitcoin as just as a savings vehicle and then a payments vehicle, it's far more simple, uh, far simpler than, um, than DeFi as a whole. So I'll, I'm going to be watching that for a while and see how Bitcoin um, benefits from that. But almost always Bitcoin ends up benefiting i see that too yeah i agree um so
0: i want to thank you very much for your time today it's been a a real pleasure speaking with you um i enjoyed our conversation and i have one last question um how can people find out more information about you about lolly about what you guys are up to um and start earning um you know sats with their purchases
1: Sure. I, just lolly.com, L-O-L-L-I.com is the best place to go. We're on the app store and, uh, for iOS. We're going to have the Android out Android app out here soon as well. So we'll be in the Google Play Store here soon. Um, that's a good way to start. We have a very active Twitter feed and Twitter community. So we are at TryLolly on Twitter. Um, a couple other handles there too, at Lolly Deals, at Lolly Cares, or at Lolly Support. Um, so there's a few different Twitter handles there. You can follow me and Alex as well at Alex Edelman at Matt center. Um, and yeah, we just, we love talking to people on Twitter and taking feedback and getting new ideas about what we can do or what has worked for people, what hasn't worked for people. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. So we have got new, new ways to earn rolling out soon. So I'm going to be really excited to announce those here shortly. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter.